The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along tonight as we continue our trek towards the World Series for the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians, at least for one team, but the other team is looking at trying to improve their situation throughout the rest of the regular season. As I said, I'm Dave Mitchell. Time to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. And Mark, before we get started, how about you and I combine our wealth, put together $4 billion, and outbid the WWE for the UFC? Yeah, that's a good way to spend your your money. Um, <laughs> if you win the lottery, uh, go buy um, something that nobody knows. Everybody knows is not real, and uh, it's an interesting uh, way to spend cash. But uh, you know, uh, they say a sucker's born every day, so there are people out there buying that kind of stuff. But uh, look at it this way: we could own Ronda Rousey. That's true. Who may be retiring because. Uh, she got beat once, and now her career is apparently uh, in a mess. But uh, on a more depressing note, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know what happened this weekend in Miami with the Reds, but I think the entire season could be encapsulized by looking at those three games of how this team played. It, it was one of the worst performances I can recall uh, in recent Reds history. I'd have to go back into... I guess the 1982 season when the Reds were, I guess, equally inept. But Dave, this team is mailing it in, and it's only July. What what happened in the second half is kind of frightening. Yeah, that was embarrassing down in Miami this weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't just the the fact that they got beat in three games, two of which were close games, but it's the way they played, the the base running, the fielding errors, the gaps on on the bases. Uh, the, the pitching wasn't too bad, but when you get no d- defense support, uh, you're in big trouble. And what, what is really telling about this team right now, it, it's not the fact that they're in last place by a large margin in a rebuilding year. It is the fact that their veterans are playing so poorly, almost as if they can't wait for the season to be over uh, and they're not, I guess they're not even driven to improve their personal statistics, but Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips and, and, and recently Jay Bruce, uh, just aren't, uh, aren't playing well. And you, you throw, you know, Billy Hamilton, I think, is in his fourth season. He's no longer a rookie. And you, you have to begin looking at him as a veteran player who needs to step up and begin contributing, but he's hitting back into 230s again, and he's made a couple bad defensive plays. But the, the, the biggest the biggest problem with this team, and actually the biggest problem with the organization, is Joey Votto. He's not, he's not playing well at all. He's not hitting. He's hitting, I think, 255 now. Uh, he's getting on base through walks, but his base running is poor. His defense is absolutely atrocious, and I don't know if it's a mental thing, if it's a physical thing. I, I, I don't know what the issue is, but his his defense all year has been horrific, and just poor judgment defensively. Going for balls he has no chance to get, and then interfering with Brandon Phillips. He's done that probably a half a dozen times this year. He's played with Brandon Phillips more than any other first and second baseman combo in Reds history. And not to know where, I mean, I, I, I played first base most of my career, and not to know where your second baseman is and not to know his range after all these years is unacceptable and, and inexcusable. 
and I, I don't know what's up with Joey, um, but something is. And when you have that amount of your payroll being taken up by a guy who's playing the way he is, this organization, Dave, is, is in much worse shape than even the standings might indicate. Well, we're at the halfway point of the year, and when you look at this, Mark, you know, it's hard to believe that we started this show back at the beginning of spring training on March 7th. And now we're looking at a situation, Mark, where we're at the halfway point. It's the all-star break. Tonight going on right now is the home run derby. Of course, last year Todd Frazier won it. But the Reds now are 32-57. and 57. They're 25 games under 500. The Indians are 52-36. and 36. Now, that's a turnaround of 16 games above 500, Mark. But you talk about how the Indians, or the Reds, played this weekend. Mark, the Indians played almost as haphazardly as the Reds did. They lost three out of four to the Yankees. They had sellouts in all four games, Mark. They had an opportunity to really grab a stranglehold on this community heading into July and August and do it, Mark. They just didn't do it. And they lose three out of four to the Yankees, who are a 500 team. And yet, the Indians who are in first place, they didn't lose any ground. They lose three out of four to the Yankees, and they're still six and a half games up on Detroit and Kansas City in the American League Central. I'm starting to think that this team is in one of those magical seasons where they could do everything wrong and still win this division. That's just the way this team's looking. Well, let's face it. You know, We're going to talk about underachieving and overachieving teams, but... The, the Indians are fortunately in a division where every other team is underperforming, uh, certainly not meeting expectations in preseason polls. Uh, but Cleveland is playing well, and they're going to have, I don't care what kind of season you have, you're going to have ebb and flows. You're going to have, uh, you know, 10-game spans where you're a game or two under 500, then a game or two over 500. But the Indians, with that, was it a 14-game winning streak, that really put this season uh, not a, not in their back pocket, but it's going to be awfully hard for that team with that pitching staff to get caught. Uh, they have a six-and-a-half game lead over Detroit and seven game leads over Kansas City and, and, the, and uh, the White Sox. Of course, Minnesota's out of it, but with, with that pitching staff, it's very unlikely that the Cleveland Indians are going to run into a three, four, or five-game losing streak uh, or anything beyond that. I mean, the pitching is just too good. So, okay, you, you, you lose four of six, or go four and six your last ten games, but what do you think the chances are that this team could go through, go to a series or two and lose five or six in a row with that pitching staff? It's, it's, it could happen, obviously, but odds aren't good for that happening. So unless the Indians completely implode, they're going to be in the playoffs. Now, the question is, what can they do in a short uh, five-game series or seven-game series? And I think the answer to that is they can be trouble for whomever they play. So I think the Indians are in good shape. I'm trying to be objective about it. I'm not as close to the team as you are, but I think this team is, is going to get in the playoffs, and they're going to do some damage. Well, I think they're going to make the playoffs, too. I think they end up winning this division. I'm not sure if the wild card is going to come out of the American League Central. but Because right now, Baltimore, they're 51-36. and 36. They lead the American League East by two games over Boston and Toronto. In the American League West, Texas is leading by five and a half games over Houston, eight and a half over Seattle. Oakland and L.A., they're, they're out of it, the Angels. Over in the National League, you've got the Cubs, who have really, Mark, over the last few weeks have come down to earth. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the Cubs just for a second as you go through this because I think what's happened to them in the last – they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, and they, they had a, a big win yesterday uh, that could have cut that lead to six games. Uh, the Cardinals are hanging around, as they always do, as we predicted they would. They picked up four games in the last week and a half, and believe me, uh, and even Pittsburgh, they, they were 8-2, and two, so they picked up six games over the Cubs. I mean, they were 13, 14 games out of, out of first place, and now they're seven and a half. So you, you know those two teams believe they're back in it. 
And I wanted to ask you, given the history of the Cubs and the suffering of the Cub fans, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, and I know what that, that, that vibe is at Wrigley Field. I've probably been to more games at Wrigley Field than any ballpark except Great America or, or Great American Ballpark or Riverfront Stadium. Um, but do you think the Cubs have it within their ability to blow this thing? You know, if it wasn't for the fans, and that's a real good question, and I think being from Cleveland, that gives you a unique insight into what into what happens with Cub fans. Because, you know, for 52 years Cleveland went without a championship. And that's a lot shorter than what the Cubs have gone through. But that being said, it doesn't matter what regime has been with the Cubs, what manager it's been, what players it's been. It has been over 100 years since they have won a World Series. It's been over 100 years, really, since they've been to a World Series, Mark. And I don't think that it's the organizational pressure that puts it on the players, the management, the manager. It's the fans. I, you can even take the media out of it, Mark. It is the fans. They are so desperate for the Cubs to win a championship. Even when the White Sox won it back in 2005, it wasn't the same feeling as if it had been the Cubs. I think it's the fans that put the pressure on the players year after year after year. And that really does it. And I think, yes, no matter how talented a team is, they're going to feel the pressure. When they go out to dinner, hey, this is your year, guys. People come up to him, ask him for an autograph. This is for you. Do you think you can do it? Do you think you can hang on? It's that type of, of things that happen outside the ballpark that I think the players could succumb to. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure what the answer is to it. I mean, more a more practical and less ethereal uh, explanation is that the, the Cubs have historically, when they've gotten off to good starts in the past, and they have failed. They have faltered near the end of the year. The most you know, memorable, I guess, is 1969 when the Mets caught them. But the explanation was, well, they play too many day games, and it tires them out. The players get fatigued playing July, August, and September in the heat, and that, that wears them down. Now, I, I don't know a professional athlete would be affected that way, but it is it was one explanation thrown out, uh, you know, over the over the course of the uh, several baseball seasons that I was up there, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that the players have to perform on the field, and one thing that happens during a season is that other teams adjust. They they learn, uh, you know, watching the Cubs pitching staff, which was so strong uh, up until the last uh, really two or three weeks. Uh, Hitters make adjustments. Scouts make adjustments. Uh, the way they, they they play the hitters, the way they pitch to the hitters. If you don't make adjustments to the adjustments as a team, you, your people are going to catch up with you. And Pittsburgh, who was really underachieving uh, in the first three months of the season, has gotten hot. St. Louis, as they always do, they hang in there. And uh, you know, my fear, and I, I guess. My second favorite National League team would be the Cubs, and I would like to see them win a World Series. But this team now can be caught. The math is such that they're no longer prohibitive favorites. You can catch a team that you trail by seven games. It's only July. It's not even the All-Star break officially until tomorrow. So, uh, you know, we are we are seeing a team that will have to show that they have the toughness uh, to, to, they're going to have to play good ball, and don't forget that they're going to play Pittsburgh and St. Louis. Probably a combined, oh, I'm guessing here, but uh, probably a combined 15 to 18 games in the rest of the year. <laughs> Believe me, uh, that team can be caught. And what I'm afraid of is if it gets down to two or three games, it's over. Right now they got a nice cushion, but uh, if it gets down to two or three games, I think the Cardinals and Pittsburgh could both catch them. And, Mark, there's only two guys off the top of my head that I can think of on the Cubs roster that have playoff 
experience. Now, yeah, the Cubs made it last year. I I know that, okay? But we're talking about guys that have actually won a league championship and made it to the World Series. One's Joe Madden. The other is Ben Zobrist. I can't think of anybody else on that roster that has actually done it. No, you know, Rizzo played in the playoffs uh, last year, obviously, considered most of the Cubs. But I think the thing you bring up about who has been there is, is the most important, and that's Joe Madden. If anybody can keep keep a team together and, and not implode or panic, it's going to be Joe Madden. Uh, I, I think he's an he, he's the exact guy you want in a situation like this, where okay, they still got a good lead. I mean, how many teams would like to have a seven game lead? It sounds like a lot, but not when you had a fourteen game lead. It's it's the the fact they've lost seven games in how many weeks? They lost seven games in in. I think in three and a half weeks. And so three and a half weeks from now, we're, we're going to be in early August. So that's how quickly this can happen. And September is going to be, I think, the last month of the season they play within the division. So you're going to have lots of matchups with the Cubs and lots, lots of matchups with the Cardinals. And, you know, as bad as the Reds are now, uh, with Lorenzen and Iglesias pitching well out of the bullpen, that that could be stabilized. And if the Reds have a good second half, then the Cubs have to play the Reds a number of games in September. I think they finished the season with Cincinnati. So you never know who's going to jump up and bite you when you have to win. The Cubs have not had to win this year yet. They got off to a huge start, a huge lead, it was over in May. Everybody's printing World Series tickets. And when, you're, when you have that kind of lead, there's no pressure. You go out there and play, and, you know, things are great. And then all of a sudden, you start feeling it in your throat, and it's called choking. And believe me, there's not an athlete in the world who, who is immune to that. You can choke. Everybody knows you can choke. Now, I don't know what choking means physically, what happens, but, you know, it, it's, it's mental. And now the Cubs have to produce the kind of play in the field that is under pressure, and that's tough to do. Well, the other two divisions in the National League that have leaders right now, Washington is leading the National League East by six games over Miami and the New York Mets. Matt Harvey's gone, so that... That, that whole pitching staff for the Mets has been decimated, Mark. I can't see them staying in this race very much longer. Yeah, and I, I think when we're going to be talking about teams that are surprising this year, uh, I think a lot of people thought the Mets would be right there with Washington. And, uh, you know, when you have those kinds of injuries, and Matt Harvey was a Cy Young candidate. And isn't it amazing that the one game last year, and I don't know if it's a it's a carryover from last year, but when he he complained about being taken out in the ninth inning in the playoffs, and he went out there and blew the game, I, I wonder what kind of impact that's had on him, both mentally and physically. Well, that, that's a very good question. San Francisco leads the National League West. They're fifty-seven and thirty-three, six and a half games up on the L.A. Dodgers and really everybody else in that division is out of it. Mark, as we head into the All-Star break, the two representatives that the Reds have are Adam Duvall and Jay Bruce. How long? How much longer is Jay Bruce going to be a member of the Reds? Uh, I think he'll, he'll most definitely be traded, and I think the sooner the better for the Reds because, uh, you know, Jay Bruce has the ability to go into the tank. and he, He's capable at 0 for 22 or something like that, which is going to reduce his value. So if I was the Reds, uh, I would certainly try to make a deal sooner than later. You, you're not going to bring him back. And Jay Bruce is one of my favorite. And actually, I'd say he, he's my favorite Reds player right now. And I hate to see him go uh, because he brings so much more to this team and organization than just the statistics. And he's got some unbelievable statistics when you look at it. He, he leads the. He's hit more home runs in Major League Baseball than anybody since 2010. More RBIs than anybody since that period. And. and it, well, his batting average has been up and down. It's never been great, but uh, you know he's had injuries the last two years that have, I think, really negatively impacted him. Uh, so unless the Reds would decide to extend him, 
you know, he's going to be gone in the next uh, couple of weeks. Same with Zach Cozart. So, um, the you know, the all-star selection, I think it's a, it, it really, I think it helped his value. He, he's, he could say he's all-star this year. And he's got, what, 63 RBIs, 18 home runs, hitting 265, 270. You know, in this day of lack of power in Major League Baseball, if you're a team that needs a corner outfielder, he's your guy. You know, it's not very often that we both get to tell the other person that you were right. But last week, one of the last questions that I asked you was, who's going to make it as an all-star for the Reds? You said Jay Bruce. I said Adam Duvall. They both made it. Yeah, but I was more right than you, Dave. I mean, <laughs> Adam Duvall was named first. All right, all right. No, I, I, I thought it'd be Jay Bruce, and I, I, he deserves it. And but so does Adam Duvall. I mean, for and that's great for that kid. Uh, you know, he's a young man, and uh, I saw him. I saw him in spring training, and you know they they have this expression for a guy who throws 100 miles an hour, but doesn't look like he's like he's starting that hard. It's called easy gas. That's how you call it. He just picks up the ball, and the ball comes out of his hand, and, man, it's like a dart. Well, Duvall's got easy power. Uh, I saw him in spring training taking BP, and he was one-handing balls 350 to 400 feet. I mean, just, you know, hitting them off the end of the bat and just flipping the bat. And the guy that reminded me of the same kind of power is George Foster. I remember thinking, Watching Duvall hit, uh, he's got the same kind of. You know, George Foster used to miss hit a ball and hit it up on the upper deck in the red seats at Great Amer- or in uh, Riverfront Stadium, and that's the kind of power Duvall has. And uh, in this day and age, that's that's a real valuable commodity. Well, the Indians All-Star representatives are Danny Salazar, who's no longer on the team. He'll be there, but he he's not going to pitch. He was replaced by. Jose Quintana of the Chicago White Sox because Salazar's got some mild elbow discomfort. Also, Francisco Lindor, who I think deserves the all-star selection. And Corey Kluber was a replacement, uh, an injury replacement on the all-star team. Mark, do you know that there is nobody in the Indian starting rotation that has an ERA above 3.20? I doubt there's anybody in the Reds rotation that has one below that uh so that that is amazing and it gets back to what i said before that's why it's going to be difficult to catch the indians because with that pitching staff you're just not going to have you're not going to lose seven eight ten games in a row you can't your pitching's too good and the bullpen's strong and the team scores runs so uh, the indians are in great shape I don't think the pressure is on them, even though their lead is is less than the Cubs' lead. I think the Indians right now are probably the safest bet into the playoffs. You, you look at the standings. Uh, I can't, you know, you look over these teams, and every team I think could be caught theoretically. I don't see a team in there that's overpowering, uh, except the Indians. I think the Indians are just a team that's not going to be caught. Uh, you know, could they fall down into a to a uh, wild card berth? Maybe, but with half the games being played already, uh, it, it's just unlikely. Eighty eight games played, what eighty eight games played by the Indians? Uh, in the games remaining, I don't see it as a problem. I think what the team will be doing sooner than later is positioning themselves for the playoffs and setting up the rotation, that kind of thing. But uh, I really like the Indians' chances. Well, some good news for the Indians, though, is Michael Brantley is going out on a rehab assignment this week. He'll start it out tonight when he's going to play five innings in left field for the Class A Mahoning Valley team. Now, everyone is anticipating, Mark, that he that means he could be back in the lineup sometime before the end of July if everything goes right. Mark, it's kind of my opinion, I want to see if you agree with this, that Michael Brantley returning to the Indians is like making a midseason trade. They haven't had him all year long. They've had him for four games, and that's been virtually, well, it was in the beginning of the season, right towards the end of April. And then he had to leave and, and strengthen that shoulder and the bicep problem that he was having. But I think you put Michael Brantley back in this lineup, the Indians then 
don't really have to go after a bat. There's one guy I would like to see the Indians go after as far as a bat is concerned, and I'll get into that in a second. But with Brantley coming back, I think that gives the front office of the Indians an opportunity to go go after their two main needs, which are a left-handed reliever and a right-handed reliever. Yeah, I was going to just ask you, I guess you just answered the question, if you start positioning now this team for the playoffs, and that's what you have to start doing sooner than later, you've got to do it in July because you've got to make a decision about what you do need to be not – you're going to make the playoffs. Okay, now how do you win the World Series? And I think you just articulated that by saying you need some help in the bullpen left and right. Do you see any position help that you need? Catcher. And that's why Jonathan Lucroy of the Milwaukee Brewers interests me so much. His salary is okay. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year. The Indians need somebody to come in and take over the catching position that not only is a good defensive catcher, Mark, but can hit around the 250-260 range. Because right now, Jan Gomes isn't cutting it. I'm not giving up on Jan Gomes by any stretch of the imagination. But if I can get a Jonathan Lucroy for players other than my top three prospects in the minor leagues, I try to get him as quickly as possible. Is Santana the backup for, for Gomes now? No, Santana hasn't caught in three years, okay. ever since he got a concussion three years ago. Uh, Chris Jimenez is the backup, and he's no better. Uh, they're both good defensive catchers, very good defensive catchers. But right now, Gomes is hitting 160. Jimenez is hitting 210. And defensively, I don't think you can find a better pair of defensive catchers in baseball right now. I'll, I'll go as far because... Uh, Jan Gomes is throwing out runners at second at a pace of 45%. Jimenez is far behind him, but he's still at 38%. So when you look at those two defensively, I, I can't argue with them. But we need somebody, I think, with a little more punch behind home plate. Well, it's, it's a great position to be in when you're trying to fine-tune a team like that. And it, they've got a huge increase in defensive efficiency over the last two or three years. Remember three years ago, I think they were the worst team in baseball defensively. That has improved dramatically. Uh, their, their pitching staff, obviously, is their strongest suit. They seem to be strong up the middle again. And that, that team has a chance to win the World Series. So I'm sure the front office doesn't need to be told by us. They need to start vectoring in to, okay, how do we make this team a World Series champion? Not just make the playoffs, uh, but this, this team with that pitching. I mean, look, look around the countryside here, Dave. You look at the other teams in baseball. How many of them have the depth, uh, pitching staff in, in the pitching staff that the Indians have? And that is what the World Series is all about. You have to have at least three starters that can go out there and pitch a shutout against, you know, great teams. And the Indians can do that. I think the only team that can can match them, perhaps, uh, in, in pitching, uh, would be the Giants. I mean, the Giants with Baumgartner at the top of the rotation, the guy can throw three complete games in a World Series. Uh, and you, you don't want to face a Kershaw, but the Dodgers have their pitching woes right now. I, I don't know a team that has the depth that that the Indians have at that rotation that can, can actually win a World Series. And, and you back up Baumgartner with uh, a Johnny Cueto, and and they are, I agree with you, I think the Giants are right up there. But, you know, my dream World Series matchup, Mark, is the Indians and the Cubs. That yeah. really is my dream matchup. That would be a great story for baseball. You're absolutely right. I, you know, I was looking at the standings, and I always you know, figure, what would I, as a non-fan of any team, my team isn't going to be in there, so what would I like to see? And I would like to see the Cubs in it, uh, because, because of the historical perspective. And of course the Indians are my second favorite team. And I'd like to see them in it. And, you know, the history would be made with either one of those teams winning the World Series. Now obviously the Cubs, you know, the old saying, any team can have a bad century, certainly applies to the Cubs. <laughs> but they've had a bad century. They've not won a World Series since 1908. And, you know, they, I think in 1945 they made it, but they didn't win it. So th th this team has had the heartbreak of heartbreak. Uh, and the, the team that overcame that, of course, was the Boston Red Sox, uh, winning some world championships after going decades and decades without winning one. So it's, it really is the Cubs' turn. Uh, 
and at the same time, the Indians have what? How many years since 19, what, 50, what year did they win it? Well, 1948 is when they last won the World Series. Yeah, 54, they were in it, I think. They were in it, of course, in and the 90s. were swept by the Giants. That's right. Willie Mays over-the-shoulder catch in 54. Um, and then 95 and 97. Yep. And I, I think 97 was the biggest uh, disappointment. I think everybody was. thought that they were going to win it. Had a chance to win it. Uh, Jose Mesa living in infamy. <laughs> yes. So absolutely. At any rate, uh, it, it would be an exciting series to see the Cubs and the Indians. And you know, if you, if you look at the standings right now, that I bet the Las Vegas odds would say that is probably the two teams that are favored to get into the World Series. And it, it would take an upset for either team not to make it. I think at this point. I'm not sold on that as of yet. I like Texas. I think Texas is a well-rounded ball club. I think they've got a good pitching staff. Not as deep in the starting rotation as the Indians. But they are a good, solid baseball team, Mark. Yeah, and they actually have a better record than Cleveland right now. But look look at their last ten games. They're three and seven. So every team can come down to earth. I don't care how good they are, including the Indians. It can happen. But you look statistically, you know, the old saying is the team that's in first place by July 4th is going to be in the World Series. Uh, that used to be the old uh, meme, you know, when there was two, le- mm-hmm. <laughs> two leagues. But, you know, statistically, you look at Las Vegas and how they, they're, they're dispassionate. Uh, they, they're not fans like you and me. They look at it very coldly, and I bet you, if you look at the odds, that the Indians uh, are, are favored to represent the American League and the Cubs to represent the National League. And it's because numerically, it, you, you look at where they are, uh, they're just most likely to make it to the World Series. Now, who's going to win? Who knows? That that's a different set of matchups, and who who's healthy at the time? I mean, you could have two... The Indians make it to the World Series, but then the last series of the year, two starting pitchers get hurt. You know, <laughs> it changes everything. But right now, if you had if you had to put your money on who's going to be matched up in the World Series, I would put my money on the Cubs and the Indians. Well, right now, here's the latest odds. You asked, you shall receive. The Cubs are the favorite. The Rangers are the second favorite. Then come the Washington or the the uh, San Francisco Giants and the Washington Nationals. They are right right behind there. So the Indians are are not up there as far as right now. Yeah, and I think there's there, there, I can understand that. I I think and it may be a lot of historical <laughs> data being put into that thing. Uh, but when you look at the Giants. Uh, with Cueto and Bumgardner as your first two guys, I mean that—that's that, a man. Jeez, going into any series when you, the first two guys you got to face are Cueto and Bumgardner, man, that—that's—that's that's a heavy load. But you have to look at matchups, and I, I would think I don't know what the statistics are, but I think Cleveland matches up well offensively with the Giants. And if you look at the teams that the Cubs, you know, the, the, the Cubs right now, their problem is offense. And I know that sounds silly with you look at their numbers, but the last 30 days, uh, except when they play the Reds, the Cubs' offense have not, has not been consistent. And then you had a you had a series there where their top two pitchers got lit up, and it, it can happen to any team. But again, I, I look at the depth of the pitching staff, not just the, the, the top two starters. And I would argue that the Bumgarner and Cueto are better than the top two starters on the Indians. But it's that depth, I think, that will carry the Indians overall. All right, it's time to give out our first half awards for the Reds and the Indians. And Mark, I know for you it's going to be a tough decision, so I'll go ahead and lead this off as far as what we're going to give away. We're going to give away the first half MVP, the first half Cy Young Award winner, and the first half Rookie of the Year. And for me, I thought all of these awards were hands down as far as the Indians are concerned. The Indians' first-half MVP, I think, has to be Mike Napoli. He came in from Texas and Boston, Mark, and I was not thrilled with the signing that the Indians made. I'll be right up front and honest back in January of Napoli coming onto this team. But, Mark, he has been a godsend to this team, not only on the field but off the field. He's a winner. He's a leader. 
Through 82 games, he's got 76 hits, 18 home runs, 61 RBIs. He's hitting only 243, and he struck out a boatload of times this year. But I'll take the strikeouts. He just seems to come up with a great batting average with runners in scoring position. He's hitting 301. Right behind him, I would have made Jose Ramirez. As much as I have complained about Ramirez's defensive liabilities in the outfield, at the plate mark, he's been outstanding. My first half Cy Young Award winner has got to be Danny Salazar. Salazar's 10-3. and He leads the Indians in victories. He's got a 2.75 ERA. His whip is a 1.18. You understand that better than I do, but that's a great whip for a starting pitcher. And as far as my first half rookie of the year is concerned, hands down, Tyler Naquin. He is the center fielder of the future, in my mind, for the Cleveland Indians. In 58 games this year, he's got 50 hits, Mark, 9 home runs, 22 RBIs. He's hitting 314, but in the last month of the season, he's hitting an outstanding 376. And, Mark, in balls that he has put, this is an unbelievable stat. I can't believe somebody actually sat down and looked at this. But in Balls that he has actually put into play, in other words, balls that have landed in fair territory, he's hitting 424 on the year. That's unbelievable. I, first of all, I can't believe anybody would sit down and track that. But secondly, when you think about it, 424 on balls that have landed in fair territory, that's an outstanding batting average. So those are my three first-half award winners. Well, be careful of that of that statistic you just mentioned because that is called the luck factor, and that doesn't always happen. Balls in play are normally caught, <laughs> and when you have a batting average that high, that is that is very very lucky to, to have an average that high because defense plays a part. I don't care how hard you hit a ball; if you hit it right at somebody, you're, you're going to be out. So that is a high high luck factor, and that will re- that will regress to the mean. Statistically, it always does. So I would be wary of a number that high because it ain't going to continue. It can't. It just it, baseball isn't built that way. So that would concern me about that number. That's that's off the chart. You're right. It typically is is much much lower than that. How about your award winners? Well, it's it's awfully hard to look at the statistics of this team and say, wow, there, there's an MVP because you just don't have anybody uh, that, that's playing well. Uh, but Jay Bruce overall, uh, given notwithstanding a bad weekend defensively for Jay Bruce this this past weekend, uh, and his hitting, his consistency, his hustle, I think overall he's the MVP for the Reds. Uh, you could also ar- argue Zach Cozart uh, have, has, has had a great year, given fact he's coming back off a, off a horrific knee injury last year, and has hit over 14 home runs and hit 14 home runs, and has really played. Much, much better, I think, than anybody had the right to expect. So I would go with Jay Bruce as my MVP. Um, what was the rookie of the year? Was the, 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 the rookie of the year and Cy Young Award winner? Well, that's pretty easy. Adam Duvall, uh, rookie of the year, hands down. Uh, he's had the most uh, impact on this team uh, from his from an offensive perspective. But this guy has played absolutely outstanding left field. He really has, and, and he's much faster. Than I thought. I thought he was kind of a lumbering power hitter. This guy can run, and I wonder why he wasn't uh, playing football for Louisville because he he looks like he could. He's a big, strong guy. I mean, huge thighs, enormous arms and, and wrists. This guy can be a power hitter for a long time in the major leagues. But what's surprising to me has been his defense, and uh, he he's got a great arm. And don't be surprised if he's the Reds' starting third baseman next year. Uh, I think he will, will move into third base, which is really his natural position and where he came up with the Giants. So hands down, Adam Duvall as my rookie of the year, Jay Bruce as my MVP. Now, the pitching, <laughs> it's, it's this awfully hard. This is where hard. you run into a problem. Yeah, a big problem. There is just nobody on this staff that has performed up to par uh, other than Di Scalfani, who has uh, – He's come back. He's 3-0 with a 2.23. He's only had six starts, uh, but he's got a 1.29 whip, uh, a batting average or ERA of 2.23, as I said. He, six games. Um, you know, he, he's really pitched quite well for, for the Reds. 
uh, Dan Straley, who's only four and six with a 4.35 ERA, but he has been consistent. Uh, he doesn't get a little lit up, and he had a bad start that really skewed his ERA. But you know, I, I'd have to go with Di Scalfani. Uh, as the guy who has uh, come back after surgery, uh, or not surgery, but rehab, and has done very, very well. But, Dave, it, it, let me read these numbers to you um, because they're kind of frightening. Uh, starting with, you said the Indians didn't have anybody below, what, a 3-3 ERA? 3.2. 3.2. Well, here, how's this sound? 372, 407, 435, 471, 509, 514, 543, 630, 640, 675, 730, 740, 762, 802, 838, 839, 945, 945, 11, 1350, 1929. These are ERAs on this team this year of guys who have pitched in at least eight games for the Reds. They're, and the they, names were eradicated as not to convict the innocent. Well, let, let me just point out, their opening day closer, your, your closer, arguably one of the most important people on your team, has a one and two record with a 1350 <laughs> ERA. I mean, digest that for a second. He's got one save. A 13.50 ERA. Now, you look at that kind of decision-making by management. You look at a guy with that record who has been absolutely pummeled. Who in the hell made the decision by looking at him in spring training or looking it over his career and say, yeah, that's the guy who's going to close out the games for us and replace a Raldis Chapman? That is... That's the kind of decision that should good managers fired. That kind of stupidity in looking at anybody who's ever played baseball can look at J.J. Hoover's stuff alone and say, closer? Are you kidding me? Maybe closing in double A. He's not closing at the big league level. This guy had one good year in his, in his life. And don't forget, this was a guy who was, what, 1-10 or 1-11 two years ago? And last year... He got he got very lucky. Talk about that balls in play type statistic. He was he was smashed last year, and he got lucky, and his ERA stayed down. He still came in and gave up a lot of runs by relieving other pitchers. Rather than getting the guy out, he, the first guy he faced would would be would, would get a hit. So he, he wasn't a shutdown closer even in his best year. But you look at these numbers, and number one, it got the pitching uh, coach for the Reds fired last week. And it should have gotten the manager fired, who I predict will be fired maybe this week. But they, there, is, there is not a, there's not a person on this team, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. I don't think there's one pitcher on the Reds staff that could make the Indian staff, not make their rotation but make their staff. And maybe the exception might be Iglesias, but he's, he's so young. I mean, who who would you pick off this? There's 27 pitchers who have pitched for the Reds. Can you think of one that you would want on the Indian staff? Desclafani. Okay, where would you put him? I'd probably put him in the bullpen. Yes, that's my point. You, you would make him, you, you probably have, what, a 12-man pitching staff on the Indians. I didn't even look. I'm just guessing about a 12-man staff. Who 13. Would you, who would you take off that and put in Di Scafani? Uh, there, there's, you're talking about relievers now? Well, he'd have to be a reliever. He certainly couldn't crack your starting rotation. No, he can't He can't do that. But, you know, the Indians just got rid of Jabba Chamberlain. He could have taken his position. Tommy okay. Hunter, I think, is another one that he would probably take over for. Otero's another one. See, the Indians' problem is their bullpen is so inconsistent. Is it as bad as the Reds? No. I'm not going to pretend to be that way. But the Indians' bullpen is, if they ended up losing in the playoffs and not making any improvements to their bullpen... <clears throat> That will be the reason why. That's their downfall. But here's, you've made my point. There are 27 pitchers who have pitched for the Reds this year, and number one, they couldn't, none of them could make the Indians rotation, not one. And number two, you have to really 
think about you, you might Desclafani. Yeah, you take him and put him somewhere, but you know he's not appreciably better, and he's had injury than anybody on your twelve-man staff. That's how bad the Reds are. That's how bad they are. You look at this pitching staff, and you look at the other twenty-nine pitching staffs in baseball. I'm not sure. I'm not sure many of these guys could make other pitching staffs. And well, that and, and that that is a that is a problem. You know, another guy that intrigues me too is Lorenzen, though he he's a guy that intrigues me out of the bullpen. Yeah, he intrigues me too. But again, it, you guys are going for a world championship, and if you try to look at this Reds roster, okay, you know, we've talked about the pitching staff. Now you look at their players. Now you compare them with a team that's going to go to the playoffs, like the Indians. Who would you take on the Reds roster? To put on your starting eight, uh, you know, is there anybody that you would want off this roster that would replace somebody that you already have? Uh, that that's a good question. Quite honestly, I would probably put Suarez at third over Uribe. I'm I'm not Uribe has been a bust. Well, I, I might take Duval and put him at third. Okay, you could know, do that. You know, th- that's what I would do because Suarez is not hitting well either. He's hitting 230. He's got 14 well, home runs. Well, that's 20 points higher than Uribe. I know, but he, he's a he's a butcher at third. I mean, he's I think he leads the, the major leagues in uh, errors for third baseman. So he, he's he's playing out of position at third base, and I'm really disappointed. I thought he would be much better. He got off to a great start, and you would think a shortstop moving to third would be able to make the transition. He's got a good arm, but I think he's just not used to the velocity of the ball coming at third base. I mean, you got some shots down there. There was one ball hit to him this year. Uh, I think Stanton hit it, and it was 122 miles an hour. And wow! I mean, that, that's the kind of ball that takes out a kidney if you miss it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but if you look at this Reds roster and compare it to a championship quality team like the Cubs, the Indians, the Giants, the Dodgers, the the uh, Rangers, uh, Washington, we haven't talked a lot about Washington. These are all really good teams. And you look at the roster, both offensively and their pitching staff, not one player is likely to be drafted, especially if you factor in money. I mean, would you pay $25 million for Joey Votto? No. Nobody would. Nobody would. And you got Brandon Phillips. Would you, would you take him on your team? Uh, I don't know where I'd put him. Well, that, that's my point. You, you know, you look but that's at your, not to say that there isn't another team out there that would take that would take him. I'm you, sure there is. No, I, I don't think there is. Not Brandon Phillips. Not Joey Votto. I don't think anybody would take them. Not with their contracts and their declining skills. Zach Kozar. He's he had 14 home runs, 38 RBIs, 267 batting average. Very, very good fielder. Very consistent. Never makes an error. But where does he fit into a championship team? You know what's interesting is is that I watched D.D. Gregorius over the weekend with the Yankees, and I couldn't believe how much he's improved. Oh yeah, he, he's a, he's a much better player, and I wish the Reds still had him. Uh, he, he 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 has a lot of talent, but what what is what is frustrating for Reds fans, and maybe the Indians haven't been there for a while. There's just at this point, there's no hope. There's no hope for this team. Uh, there's all this scuttlebutt but about all the great young arms they've got in the minors. Well, where are they? Who's dominating in the minors for the Reds, offensively or defensively? Nobody. And if, if you're in, in double-A ball and you're hitting 230, you're not a prospect anymore. Now, can you be in five years? Maybe. But, you know, you look at the guys who have come up to the minors who are stars, they tear it up. At single A and double A and even triple A. I mean, they they hit three forty, three fifty. The Reds don't have anybody like that. And and they're pitching. So, you know, Stevenson. Th- this has been a horrific disappointment this year. Robert Stevenson has really regressed. He's got an ERA, you know, four and a half in the minors. He's their stud. He's their guy. He should be, he should have a one point five or two point ERA in the minors, and he doesn't. You know, it's funny how everybody in Kansas City is lamenting the Johnny Cueto trade now. 
even though they won a World Series, now they're saying, you know, boy, the, the Royals may have mortgaged their future to win a World Series. Well, that's what you've got to do. Yes, but look at, look at who they gave up. For, 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 they gave up three left-handers to the Reds. Okay, you've got uh, Brandon Finnegan. He's four and seven with a four seventy-one ERA. Okay, he's he's the best of the group. Uh, John Lamb is one in six with a five forty-three ERA. Cody Reed is zero and four with an eight thirty-nine ERA. Now, are you telling me those guys? Are, are going to make a change in a team. Could they be good in three or four years? Maybe. But right now, uh, let me see, they're, they're 4 and 11, uh, 5 and 14, <laughs> with the ERA probably collectively uh, at 6.5. <clears throat> so what did Kansas City actually give up so far? Not much. Well, and, not and much it, so far. So far, and you're right, you know, next year we could be saying, wow, these guys, you know, what a steal. But John Lamb, yesterday, I saw him pitch yesterday, he's throwing, you know, some fastballs he was throwing at 83, 82. Now, his curveball fooled a lot of guys. He got some strikeouts yesterday. But believe me, major league hitters figure that stuff out. Oh, absolutely. They and, do. And the... the the Indians right now, on an organizational basis, are so so much better than the Reds. It's not. So either. you're advocating the trade of Bruce Phillips if they can, Votto and and Cozart for prospects. And one more, I put Homer Bailey in that. Those five. But the problem guys, that you've got is is that you've still got the same guy in Walt Jockety pulling the strings that hasn't been able to complete a good deal in the last three years. Well, except yeah. for except for one deal, one Duval. deal. Duval. Duval. Yeah, I mean that, that was a good deal, and it was a kind of a throw-in on that deal. Nobody really thought the Giants had given up on him. The Giants didn't have room for him on that team. That team's won three World Series the last six years, so uh, you know they they gave away a guy who had some potential, but uh, really didn't fit into their plans. And and their team's based on pitching. When you have Bumgarner and and Cueto at the top of your rotation, you've got a good pitching staff. But the, the, the Reds are just, they're light years. I mean, right now, I don't think the Reds would win a triple-A title. They're that bad. <laughs> that, that would be pretty bad. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not being facetious. I mean that. But so they've got to go out and they've got to get prospects. They've got to rebuild the farm system, which is something that has completely deteriorated in the regime of Walt Jockety. Yes, and Dave, here's, here's the thing that scares me the most, I'm, and this is just uh, an example. The Dayton Dragons here in town, they, they, I think they had a, they were 25 and 52 or something, some horrific record this year. This is, this is their, their single A team where they're supposed to have all these prospects coming in, and they're terrible. They're a terrible team. And so where's it coming from? Where is where does all the talent come from that in 2017 and 18, 19 is going to make this team competitive and, and try to win a World Series? It's not there. See, I will give the Dolan brothers, the Dolan family, credit in this realm. When they took over the team back in 2002, 2003, they said, we are going to build this team around pitching. And they spent the next 10 years, Mark, Drafting primarily pitching prospects, and look where it's gotten them. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's certainly the, the formula. Pitching defense wins World Series. It, it does. Now you got to get the World Series, uh, and a team can win with one commodity if, if they're terrific in one commodity. But typically, that commodity is pitching. You, you seldom have a team bludgeon themselves to a World Championship. Witness Toronto last year. They got to the playoffs, but in the end, it was their pitching that, that undid them. Uh, so it's hard to win a World Series. Now, you can get to the playoffs. That's different. But in a short series, you, you've got to have three pitchers that are dominant. And then you then you take the two guys that were in your rotation, put them in the bullpen, and now all of a sudden you've got a stud bullpen uh, to go along with the, your three top pitchers in, in a seven-game series. And you have a chance to win a World Series. 
And that's been a formula right. that, that, that's been followed for really decades. All right, put yourself in the shoes of Walt Jockety. You're not Mark Donahue playing Walt Jockety. You're actually Walt Jockety right now. All right, you're thinking like Walt Jockety has in the past. You're looking at this team like he has in the past. And the way that he has built this team, Mark, it's been on a conservative approach. Can he afford to take that approach over the next two weeks prior to the trade deadline? And being his track record, what it has been over the past few years, do you really think Walt Jockety will make a move? Oh, he'll make a move. The problem is not him making moves. It's what he's gotten for the moves. I mean, he, he traded Johnny Cueto, who could win a Cy Young this year, and he got three left-hand pitchers that right now are not performing. That So far, and, and granted, trades cannot be judged on one year, and maybe those left-handers in three years will be, you know, three Tom Glavins, I don't know. But look, what, what, what did he get for Cueto? What did he get for the best reliever in baseball, maybe baseball history, in Araldus Chapman? Name me a player he got. You can't. Well, you, you yeah, I, I can look them up, but they're hitting 204 and 231 in single A ball. And they were never prime prospects when he went out and got them in the first place. Exactly. Why couldn't you have waited until the off season or now to trade him, and you would have gotten a king's ransom because you would have given somebody a World Series championship. Now, with the Yankees are going to trade Chapman because they're not going to make the playoffs. Watch what they get for Chapman. Well, the, the the rumor mill says Brian Cashman, the the general manager of the Yankees, has let it known around me around Major League Baseball that if you're calling about Miller and or Chapman, don't even pick up the phone and dial the number unless you're going to offer us two of your top three prospects. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. You've got an asset there. They stole Chapman, and now they're going to turn around and make a huge capital gain on that on that investment uh, of Chapman uh, that, that they didn't. It didn't cost him anything. And that you ask me about Jockety, I can't figure out. I've been in, around baseball for a long, long time. I, I'm stunned that this guy has been given the kind of control he has. And the decisions he made are not challenged by ownership. How, how can you how can you trade a, a Chapman or trade a Cueto and not get anything for it? And, and, and I, I have no, I have no idea how Walt Jockety has stayed in the game of baseball. Well, he, he must he, have pictures. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know he's he's seemingly retired. He's he's now. You don't know what Wagner is going to do. Uh, as a GM, once Jockety is gone, because he's looking over his shoulder right now, so you hope he's a you know the next young bright GM in baseball and does something for the Reds because Jockety you know had put the Reds into a position where they could win. But don't forget the Reds; they were so bad back in the the early part of this century that they got a lot of, of good draft choices and they drafted some players that that put them over the top. And, and some players like Vado developed into superstars at the time. Uh, Brandon Phillips was a great trade. But don't forget, Jockety didn't make that deal. That wasn't Jockety. Um, you know, Brandon Phillips came over from the Indians. And I, I, I forgot now who made that trade, but it wasn't Jockety. Anyway, I can't point to one trade that he has made that has had an appreciable effect on the Reds in a positive way. I can't, I can't either, except for the Duvall trade. That's the only one that he has made that has been a good trade for the Reds. Mark, as we wind down tonight's show, the Reds, of course, they're off for the All-Star break. They'll get back underway this Friday at home against Milwaukee. They'll play the Brewers Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Go to some of those games and look at Luke Roy and tell me what you think. Well, I know what. I've seen Luke Roy play against the Reds probably a hundred times. And, you know, his his bat. Uh, can, can make a difference, but he's underrated uh, defensively. He's very good, and he's also a stabilizing effect, I think, for for a pitching staff. So, if the Indians can get him, I would say go get him. The Indians this week—they're off until Friday when they're going to Minnesota to play the Twins. They'll take them on Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, who wins the All-Star game? Very quick. 
David, I don't care. <laughs> I hope it's the American League only because I want the Indians to have home field advantage. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, have a good one. And you can join us again next Friday, or next Monday night, I should say, pardon me, on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing this evening's program. Our thanks to Mark Donahue, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Thanks for joining us. Join us again next Monday night at 9 for another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, good night. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baby.